God calls us to honor our mothers, and I can't think of a more appropriate day to do so than on this Mother's Day. We love our moms for their sacrificial love, tireless devotion, and fierce loyalty. While many in our lives might turn away or fall away, our moms are always the last person standing. Moms are always the first to show up when we need them and the last to leave. There's a reason why Mother's Day is the busiest restaurant day of the year. We love our moms. And in honor of Mother's Day, I want to direct your attention to a little-known psalm, a psalm that caught my attention during my sabbatical last year. It's Psalm 131. It's short, so please pay attention or else you're going to miss it. This is the reading of God's Word. Lord... My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Now, the reason why this psalm caught my eye is because it's one of those rare passages where God is likened to a mother. Now, I understand that the image of God as mother may sound radical to some of us. It's to be expected. God, oftentimes, most of the times, describes himself in masculine terms. Jesus referred to God as his father. He taught us to pray our father who art in heaven. Yet there are places in scripture where God is also described in feminine terms. For example, in Isaiah chapter 66, God describes himself as a mother who nurses and comforts her child. In Matthew 23, Jesus compares God to a mother hen who gathers her chicks and protects them with her wings. And here in Psalm 131, David relates to God as a weaned child who rests in the arms of his beloved mother. The fact that God utilizes feminine metaphors to describe himself shouldn't shouldn't surprise us. After all, when God created man in his image, he created them both male and female. And so naturally, we see how both genders reflect the image of God. So naturally, our mothers then will convey God's image to us in very real and meaningful ways. And maybe that's why we love our moms so much. In their love and care for us, we see glimpses of our loving God. Now, the image that David paints for us is captivating, one that perhaps some of us can intimately relate to. In verse two, David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. I love this image of a weaned child resting in the lap of his mom. 
A weaned child is a child that no longer depends on his mother's milk. A child that is still nursing is one that is often fussy and easily agitated. A child that is nursing often cries and is easily upset. How many parents here still remember the long nights of trying to calm and soothe a colicky baby? Not fun. How many parents here are going through that right now? Yet the picture David paints for us is not of a crying, fussy baby, but of a calm and content one. The child quietly rests in his mother's arms and is at peace. He rests in his mother's arms, not because he needs anything from her. He's just enjoying mom as mom enjoys him. Life is good. The child feels safe, secure, and loved. He's experiencing what the Bible calls shalom. And through this image, David tells us, that's who God is to me. Arthur Weiser says this in his commentary. His soul rests on God's heart and finds its happiness in intimate communion with him, not like an infant crying loudly for his mother's breast, but like a weaned child that quietly rests by his mother's side, happy in being with her. Here his heart has found rest. He knows himself to be safe with God and to be sheltered in the love of his heavenly father. Dear friends, how does this image of a child resting in his mother's lap make you feel? Does it make you long for times past when you were a child, carefree, stress-free in this life? Does it make you long for simpler times when your mom's embrace made all your worries go away? Or perhaps if you're a parent this morning, does it make you long for the intimacy you once had with your child? Does it make you long for the days when your child was small enough to crawl into your lap and sleep in your arms? I find this invitation to rest in God, especially enticing in this day and age where many of our lives are marked by an unending stream of work, errands, chores, extracurricular activities, driving, church activities, birthday parties, and other social events. By the time we finish each day, we're completely exhausted with very little time for meaningful connection with those around us and meaningful connection with God. As Pete Scazzaro often warns us, we look like human doings rather than human beings. And do you know who is most guilty of becoming a human doing? Moms, in your great love for your kids, you're constantly thinking about them, providing for them, caring for them, advocating for them, washing them, worrying about them, clothing them. And to make matters worse, despite all that you do for your children, it never feels like it's enough. 
There's this mommy guilt that follows you around wherever you go, where you hear a voice saying to you, you're not patient enough, you're not loving enough, you're not nice enough, you're not fun enough, you're not present enough, energetic enough, you're not enough. This is why this image of a weaned child in his mother's arms is so appealing for us. We want to experience this type of tranquility. We want to experience this non-anxious heart. Well, God writes Psalm 131 for us, not as a way to taunt us, in saying this is what you wish you could have but never have. No, he writes this psalm as an invitation for us to experience this today. And he gives us three clues on how we can experience this. Clue number one, if you want to experience God's shalom, then you need to learn to embrace your limitations. You need to embrace your limitations. We see this in verse one. David says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. Uh, I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. In each of these phrases, David avoids activities and attributes that belong only to God. When he says, my heart is not proud, that word translated as proud means high, lofty, or tall. It's an adjective often used to describe God. David says, I'm not gonna be like that. And then he says, uh, my eyes are not haughty. Again, this word means to be raised high or lifted up. It's the very word that the prophet Isaiah uses in Isaiah 6 when he says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Again, a word used to describe God. And then David says at the end of verse 1, I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. The word translated as too wondrous is used many times in the Psalms to describe God's wondrous and mighty deeds. And so what David is basically saying is this, I will let God be God so that me can be me. I won't try to fill his shoes. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm just going to be me. Unfortunately, as sinners, this is easier said than done. Anne Lamont once said, the difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. We forget that we are mere humans. We actually think we can be God. We refuse to embrace our limitations and think that we can do life on our own. Is this not how the fall of man came to be? Do you remember what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with? The day you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Adam, Eve, you're so much more than human. Eat this so that you can be like God. 
From that point on, man has deceived himself into thinking that he doesn't need God because he himself can be one. But that's when we make a mess of our lives. When we try to play God, we end up being anxious and fretful or domineering and controlling. We become anxious and fretful because we want everything to go according to our sovereign plan. But do you know what's the problem with sovereign plans? We are not sovereign. And so we worry and we're anxious. Oh no, what if this doesn't happen? And so we cope with that anxiety by becoming controlling and domineering to ensure and exact our so-called sovereignty unto others. And in this process of trying to be like God, we either damage ourselves or those around us. You've heard me say often that the way up is down in Christianity. Prior to coming to saving faith, we believed the lie that we could be our own gods, but God in his mercy opened our eyes to see the one true living God, to see our need for forgiveness, and we humbled ourselves and accepted God's salvation. That was the first step for us to recover our humanity. And from that day forward, God takes us on this lifelong process where we become more and more human. You see, all of us here are on the road of recovery. Recovery of what? Recovery of our humanhood. We are recovering humans. Spiritual growth, then, is the process of relinquishing our godhood and embracing our humanhood. To echo the words of John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. In his book, Imperfect Pastor, I love the title for obvious reasons, Zach Eswine writes, you and I, we're never meant to repent for not being everywhere for everybody and all at once. You and I are meant to repent because we've tried to be. As much as this temptation applies to pastors, it equally applies to moms. Moms, you were never meant to be everything, everywhere, all at once for your children. Stop putting godlike pressures and expectations on yourself. You'll only be crushed under the weight of those God-sized expectations. You are only human. One area where I've come to understand my limitations as a father is knowing that I do not have the power to produce true change in my children's lives. I do not have the power to produce fruit in my kids' lives. Don't get me wrong, I can do 
plenty when it comes to teaching them the word of God. I can do plenty when it comes to modeling what Jesus looks like. I can do plenty in providing a structured environment so that they might flourish and thrive. But one thing I cannot do is change their hearts. Only God can. I cannot sanctify them. I I cannot convict them of their sin. I cannot mesmerize them with the beauty and wonder of the cross. Only the Holy Spirit can. God's power alone is necessary for these things to happen. Only when I'm able to understand where my responsibilities begin and end does God then protect me from becoming a deadbeat dad or a domineering one. Spiritual growth comes from embracing your limitations. And these limitations are all over the place in the Bible. Paul's instruction in Corinthians about the body of Christ, where one person is a hand, another is a foot, is a reminder that no one can be the entire body of Christ all at once. Jesus' parable of the talents, where he disperses five, three, one talent, is a reminder that even if you have five talents, you have only five. Speaking of which, We need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. It's not fair if you compare your talents with others whom God has bestowed. You can't expect to produce a seven-talent crop when you only have three talents. When I was a younger pastor, I often found myself comparing the fruitfulness of my ministry with those of my friends. Over time, I realized to celebrate and acknowledge, you know what, some of my friends just have more talents than me, and that's okay, and to stop playing the comparison game. There's an old Jewish rabbi named Rabbi Zusia who once said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zusia? The second clue David gives us to help us become like a weaned child resting in his mother's arms is found in verse two. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. In order to experience the peace and rest of God, we need to make time to calm and quiet our souls. The word translated as calmed means to make still level or smooth. It has in mind a lake or a pond that is still. I'm reminded of Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Oftentimes, the only way we're going to know that he is God is if we are first still. We are way too loud for our own good. What is helpful here to know is that Psalm 131 is what we call a psalm of ascent. 
It's called a Psalm of Ascent because it was written for the Jewish pilgrims who made their way up towards the temple of God. Every year, God commanded his people to make three pilgrimages to Jerusalem at Passover, at Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. And so three times a year, the Jews would deliberately step aside from the busyness of life and make this pilgrimage to God where their hearts are aimed upward and heavenward. And as they anticipated meeting with God, they would recite Psalm 131. They would go and find their souls be more and more composed and quiet. Now you might be thinking, Jeff, it would be awesome if this practice continued today where God commanded us to make a pilgrimage to his temple. My response is to simply say, we actually have it better than the Jews did. Because under the new covenant, because the Holy Spirit fills us, the Bible tells us that we have become temples of God, which means that we can access God's presence anywhere, everywhere, at all times. We don't have to wait for a specific time of year to meet God. And this is why we emphasize regularly spending time with God in quiet, in reading his word, in spending time in prayer. We can access God at our breakfast table, our bedrooms, our cars, our offices, our classrooms. Just like our physical bodies need sleep every day, our spiritual souls need daily rest in God. There's no better way to embrace your humanity than by spending time with the one who truly is God. We've all been there where one of your friends or colleagues is imitating someone. They're, you know, in a way mocking them, going through their motions, copying their voice. Everyone is laughing as they're imitating their colleague, their boss, perhaps their pastor. And then as everyone's laughing, suddenly everyone stops laughing. Why? Because the real thing has just entered the room. Well, if we want help to embrace our humanity, if we want help to stop playing God, then one great thing you can do is by spending time with the one who truly is. Last but not least, number three, if you want to experience the peace and calmness of a weaned child, not only must you embrace your limitations and regularly practice stillness before the Lord, you also have to put your hope in the Lord. David says as much in verse three, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. If you think about it, the calmness and quietness the child experiences does not generate from the child. 
The reason why the child is at ease and peace is not because there's anything in the child that generates that peace. He is not the source of his own calm. It's not because the child has the rest of his day mapped out. It's not because the child is resourceful and capable. It's not because the child is wise and a good decision maker. No, he is but a child. He has no idea what's going on around him. He probably doesn't know what he's going to eat at his next meal, but that's okay because the one who holds him and mothers him does know. Our hope, dear friends, must be in God and not ourselves. We do not find peace and tranquility by staring in the mirror. We don't find peace and tranquility because we're so capable and smart and resourceful and hardworking. No, our peace comes from Him. When you look up and spend time with the real God, you realize you don't have to be in control. He is. You realize you don't have to know everything he does. You realize you don't have to be perfect. He is. And may I remind you that if David can experience the calmness and rest of God, how much more reason we have to experience this rest. David, for all he knew about God, for all that he experienced with God, did not know just how loving, tender, and sacrificial is God. He did not realize just how fierce is God's love. They say that there's nothing more ferocious than a mother's love. You do not want to get in the way between a mama bear and her cub, right? Is there anything a mom wouldn't do for her child? You may have heard the news a couple weeks ago about the shooting in Dallas. Among the many victims was a Korean-American family Cindy and Q Cho, along with their three-year-old son, were all gunned down. Their six-year-old son, William, alone survived. And witnesses say that Cindy died trying to shield her son from gunfire. Our hearts break for the tragedy that this Murder and trauma has caused and the loss, the great loss that William experienced. And our hearts are moved by the courage, by the motherly love of Cindy for her child. Dear friends, the God who invites you is no ordinary God. For the one whose lap we crawl into has hands that have been pierced through by nails for you. For the one whose lap we crawl into has a side pierced through by a spear for you. For the one whose lap we crawl into has a back covered with lashes for you. 
Jesus, our God, shielded us from the penalty of our own sin and took the wrath of God in our place. On this Mother's Day, it is my prayer that we will all take a moment to climb up into God's lap and rest our heads. That we will climb up into his lap and let God be God so that you could be you. May we experience his calming presence today as we celebrate the motherly love of our God. Let's pray. Lord, your love for us is complete and perfect. It calms the restless storm and settles, Lord, the the raging soul. It allows us to be us. It allows us to embrace our humanity as we rest in your divinity. We thank you, O Lord, for our moms here. We thank you, O Lord, for the ways they exhibit your image to us. We ask, O Lord, that all of us, Lord, will experience the freedom and the peace that comes from resting in your arms. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.